This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today in our readings we're looking at this old and vexing problem of religious corruption. Corruption in religious leaders. Now, I don't have to tell you that this is rather relevant to our time. We're living through a time of rather well-publicized corruption among religious leaders. In some ways, the gospel for today is one that preachers and ministers and priests have to preach to themselves, because it's Jesus railing against various corruptions, dangers, pitfalls that religious leaders typically have. Let me read to you a little bit from this gospel of Matthew. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to carry and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation rabbi. Strong, uncompromising language from the Lord. Deeply critical of the religious establishment of his time. What do we make of it? Notice first the opening move of his speech, which is extremely important. Just before he launches into this uncompromising criticism, Jesus says, the scribes and Pharisees are legitimately sitting in the seat of Moses. Therefore, well, do and observe all the things they tell you. Are they corrupt? Yes, and he'll tell us exactly how and why they're corrupt. But, as teachers of the law, they have a legitimate voice. And in the measure that they teach Moses' law, they should be listened to. Why is this so important? There's always a danger that when we look at religious leaders and we see their foibles, we see their humanity, their sin, their corruption, we can say, well, therefore, everything these people teach and stand for is obviously nonsense, and I don't have to listen to it. It's a Great temptation, in other words, to mistake the veracity of one's teaching with the corruption of one's life. You know, this became a very important issue in the 4th century, and the great St. Augustine addressed it. What was happening in the 4th century was waves of persecution would, would wash over the church. And during these persecutions, some stood firm. Some were strong, even to the point of death. Others, however, caved in. They surrendered. Then, when the persecution ended, some of these cowards came back. The question was, what to do with them? And some of the people that came back, mind you, were priests and bishops. 
priests and bishops who had caved in under threat of persecution, and now they're back. Well, some people in North Africa, called the Donatists, said, you're not welcome. We want a purified church. Only those who are morally upright can preach and can administer the sacraments. We don't want bishops and priests who have surrendered to come back. In fact, we claim if they say Mass, it's not valid. They administer sacraments, they don't count. They preach, you shouldn't listen. St. Augustine, I think very much echoing the Lord Jesus here, battled the Donatists. And Augustine said, no, even a corrupt priest is still a priest. And in the measure that he dispenses the sacraments of the church, in the measure that he preaches the word of God, he should be listened to, and the sacrament should be accepted as valid. In other words, it is not simply a morally and spiritually pure church that has legitimacy, but there's a distinction between one's own moral status and one's capacity to preach and to administer the sacraments. I think the Lord, right off the bat here, is making the same point. Do indeed listen to the scribes and Pharisees in the measure that they sit in the chair of Moses. You know, we see this especially today. A great danger is, well, heck, if the, if the priests, the bishops, they can't abide by these laws, how do you expect me to abide by them? If these priests are corrupt, well, then it's okay for me to be corrupt. That's always the danger. Jesus is saying, no, listen to what they say even as we critique the way they live. Okay. How does he critique the way they live? These are very powerful, very uh, penetrating criticisms, and I want to look just briefly at each one. The Lord says, What bothers me about the scribes and Pharisees is that they tie up heavy burdens, hard to carry, and lay them on people's shoulders, but will not lift a finger to help them. Christians, don't we know this? that in the hands of some people, religion, morality, can become instruments of torture. What we like to do in our sin is to lay the moral law on people like a great burden. If you know the law, you're a religious person, you're a religious leader even, you really know the law, well, how can you use that? You can use it as an instrument of aggression. I know what you're not doing. I know precisely how you're not living up to God's demands. I know the law, Old Testament and New. I know all the laws of the church. And so I'm going to place them on your back like a great burden. This is using religion as a tool of aggression. Spin it another way. I know the law. I know precisely how you are inferior to me. Heck, you're violating all kinds of laws. I can name them if you want. And I'm thereby proving to myself and to you that you are morally inferior to me. I'm laying, in other words, a heavy burden on you. Look, one way to understand the whole Christian life is a willingness to bear people's burdens. That's the moral life. 
Love is a willing bearing of other people's burdens. I know immediately I'm not living the spiritual life when I start laying burdens on people without lifting a hand to help them. The Lord here is implying that, well, yeah, sometimes you do have to make a moral demand. Maybe it is a criticism. Maybe it's pointing out to someone, yes, you aren't living up to the moral law. But then you must be willing. I must be willing to help them bear the load that I've placed on them. Otherwise, it's simply an act of aggression. You know, I think I've shared with you before this great principle I learned from uh, John Shea, who taught out here for many years. Shea said, when you're considering criticizing someone else, apply this principle. If I am willing to help the person bear the burden I'm laying on them, fine, go ahead and criticize all you want. If you're unwilling to help them deal with the problem you're pointing out, don't criticize. This, I think, is what Jesus is pointing out. This is what bugs him about the scribes and Pharisees and about all corrupt religious leaders over the centuries. Here's a second critique. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. What are these phylacteries? Well, you can still see them today. Orthodox pious Jews will wrap around their left arm these strips of cloth, and on the cloth are certain scriptural passages. The idea is beautiful, that I'm wrapping myself in the Word of God. Or they'll place a scripture quote in a little box that hangs uh, between their eyes and their forehead. And again, it's beautiful symbolism, that I'm placing the Word of God in my mind. So, pious Jews of Jesus' time did the same thing. But what's the Lord complaining about? Well, they widen their phylacteries. They lengthen their tassels, all these external signs of their piety, so that they might be seen, so that they might be admired. Here is a second classic problem with religious people, and especially religious leaders, that we can use religion itself to draw attention to the ego. As I've often said, the major purpose of religion is to free us from the ego. That sin is to be obsessed with the ego, with me, with mine. Religion's purpose is precisely to get me off of my ego, to get me out of the prison of my ego. As Bob Dylan said, the enemy I see wears the cloak of decency. Very often, religious people can wrap themselves in the cloak of decency, but all they're doing is drawing attention to themselves. Look at me, how good, how pious, how holy. Look at me, how I fulfill the divine law, how much more pious I am than you. Well, all we've succeeded in doing when we widen our phylacteries that way is to catch ourselves in the prison of the ego using the very tools that are meant to get us out of that prison. Let me say that again. We use the very tools meant to get us out of that prison to keep us locked in it. This is the tragedy of drawing attention to ourselves precisely in and because of our piety. Here's the last one. Jesus complains. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation, Rabbi. 
titles, honor, status, position, look at me. Another classic religious danger. These religious titles, like rabbi, like teacher, like father, priest, bishop, well, they're meant to signal your role in the body of Christ. They're meant to signal the quality of your service to that body. What's the danger? That the title itself becomes like a drug. There's a rush attached to titles if we like being honored. You give me a title of respect, well, I get a certain thrill from that. I remember very clearly when I was newly ordained, so 16 years ago, the first time someone called me father. And it was someone much older than I. I was 26. Here's this much older man and called me father. And I was just so struck by that. You know, I felt like such a kid, and this older man was calling me father. Well, I got a certain, you know, thrill from that. I like being called father. Well, if I had allowed that to sink into my soul and to become an addiction, what would I want? I'd want bigger titles, more titles, higher titles. I want more respect. I want to get that all the time. What does the Lord say to his disciples? As for you, do not be called rabbi. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Don't be called master. You have one master, the Christ. Now, what's he saying here? He's saying, I think, don't be addicted to these silly things. Use them if you want, sure, as signs of your role of service in the body of Christ. But don't become addicted to them. All that does is get you locked more and more into your egocentric preoccupations. So, religious leaders of the world, the Lord is saying, don't lay burdens on people. Don't use religion as a tool of aggression, but be someone that lifts burdens. Don't widen the phylacteries drawing attention to yourself, but rather focus on the need of the other. And finally, don't get obsessed with these titles and honors and privileges. All that is foo-foo. It's kind of icing on the cake. Don't get addicted to it. But rather become a humble servant of the body of Christ. Then you are acting as an authentic religious leader. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.